unsurpass penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas having it to see and listen to to remember and accept i vow to taste the truth of the tathagata's word I'm very glad to introduce Reverend Mary Kaijin Knudsen uh, to our Zoom screen tonight. Uh, many of you know her, um, but uh, for those who don't, she practiced at Santa Cruz for many years. She was on our board of directors. She was president of the board. Um, she was uh, just ordained by Reverend Jean Bush in June, and uh, she and her wife now live uh, in a town east of Sacramento. And I'm very, very pleased that she accepted our invitation to tell us about her practice tonight. Thank you very much, Mary. Thank you, Patrick. Um... I'm happy to be here and see many familiar faces. And um, Patrick asked me if I would do a way-seeking mind talk about why I chose to be ordained and become a priest. And I thought I would start off just talking about why I, um, or when and how I even started coming to the Santa Cruz Zen Center. And I first came to the Zen Center really as a way to support um, Jean Marie Peterson, who some of you may have known. She was preparing at the time for uh, Jukai with Jean Bush. And we were new in a relationship and really struggling with finding enough time for each other. And I wanted to be able to support her. So I started coming to the Santa Cruz Zen Center um, as a way to support her. And I took uh, Jean Bush's precepts class and I found it, you know, most of it seemed like it was reasonable. Some of it seemed like it was way over the top that I couldn't understand, but a lot of it seemed like it was um, sort of just being a good person or, you know, the 10 commandments kinds of things in a different flavor. Um, and probably what I found most was a community of just, wonderful, warm-hearted people that I really wanted to be able to be a part of. So I continued to come and take classes. And um, I think when I first heard about this concept of Buddha's awakening and the nature of suffering and its resolution, I can't say that I really believed it or thought it was true. Um, yes, we all suffer and we all have pain. That, that I believe is true. Um, but the idea of its origin and how to relieve it didn't quite sit as true with me back then. I think what I have learned through practice, though, is it is true. We do all have pain and suffering in our life and in the lives of people we love. And we can't necessarily stop that first arrow that causes the pain. But we can certainly stop the second arrow when we tell ourselves stories about the pain or we make our pain worse or we take our pain and then inflict it on someone else. So I do, I do now fully believe in, in 
the the Four Noble Truths um, as a path to practice, and I'll talk a little bit about more that uh, more about that. The other thing that was interesting to me when I first came to um, learn more about Buddhism was this concept that Buddha woke up to the idea of being in the present moment. We need to be in the here and now. And that actually resonated with me right away. When I was a freshman in high school, I read Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now. And I read it at a time in my life where I, when I had a lot of suffering. Um, my dad went to jail for six months for tax evasion. My mom had a nervous breakdown. And at the time when that happened, what the physicians did was just give out benzodiazepines. So she was not really a functional adult. My oldest brother had gone away to college and my two other older brothers were seriously into drugs and alcohol. So I, as the 13 year old was really the adult of the house for a period of time. <clears throat> and what I did learn was I couldn't change all the crap that was going on with all the adults in my life. But what I could do is control what was in front of me right here and now. And, and I think that that really has always stuck with me in my life is if we're worrying about the future or we're living in the past, we're missing what, what can be beautiful right in front of us in the moment. Um, and, and so that really did stick with me as something that, that resonated strongly. Um, one of the other things that I've thought about is um, this idea that we live, we live in our own mind in, in, which isn't really reality, right? The, we drift in our thoughts and we think our perception is reality, but we really only have one view, our view. We don't have the whole picture. And because we don't have the whole picture, we sometimes make assumptions or, or do things that aren't based on what really is reality. We're just taking that little perspective that we have in our own thoughts and we're not actually taking, um, understanding the whole picture. And because of that, we sometimes don't always make good decisions. So about six months after I started coming to the Zen Center, Jean Marie was actually the Jiko and Kathy was actually the Doshi that night. And um, we just finished Zazen. And I heard Kathy yell at me to come outside. And I thought, what could I have done wrong already? <laughs> um, you know, I thought, did I, did I, did not, I didn't get up right or something. But I could tell from her voice and her tone that something was really wrong because we weren't exiting the Zendo in the normal procession. And so I came out and I could tell right away, Jean Marie, something was really wrong. And we, she, Kathy was in the process of sitting her down. I said, let's lay her down. She had a massive seizure and was diagnosed with brain cancer the next day. And it was not curable. So for the next 14 months, I did my very best to make her life very, very happy. And one of the things that was so wonderful, even when she was ill, was she had so much gratitude. The brain tumor made it so she had no short-term memory. So she would feel terrible. She'd have a headache, she'd be nauseous. She was just miserable. I'd give her you know, a medication to re relieve the symptoms that she had. And somebody would come over and they'd ask her how she's doing. And she says, I'm great. She, she had no memory, absolutely none that she felt bad. And what a life lesson that is, right? 
the suffering that she had, she just let go completely. No hanging on to it, no feeling sorry for yourself, no nothing, just let it go. And what, what a life lesson that was. The other thing that was so remarkable was how grateful she was for everything in her life. The birds, the flowers, the fresh orange juice, the fruit, the people. It was just, it, it really helped me reframe what we prioritize in our life, right? And um, it, was a, it was a really difficult time. But the Zen Center and the people in the Zen Center, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, were incredibly wonderful in helping me find a way out of that deep, dark grief of hole after that, that I was in after she died. I remember Jean Bush and Kathy and Dana and Patrick and Patrice all coming and sitting zazen at our home. The last three days Jean was alive until she died. And then Jean and Kathy coming and helping me with her body so we could keep her home, which is what she wanted. Um, the support that I received from them was really wonderful. And, and that's what practice is, right? We're here to help each other. If we're not helping each other, what are we here for? That, that's, that's it, sort of practice in a nutshell. So for the next several years, I really dedicated myself to practice. I would come to the Zen Center every day. And at the time, Chuck and Nanette were the Enos. And for any of you who know Chuck and Nanette, when they were Enos, they just welcomed every person that walked up that path with a big smile and a, and a hug if you wanted one. And if Chuck has ever hugged you, you know he hugs you like he means it. And for me, that was just so, um, so wonderful to feel that warm embrace and that unconditional love. And that's really what practice is, right? It's, it's us supporting each other through the good, the bad, and everything else. It's that way that we can guide each other and be in community with each other that makes life joyful for many more people. And one of the other things that I found in that time was that everybody there just accepted my grief with compassion and with loving kindness. And what a gift that was. Even when I couldn't do that for myself, the community could do it for me. And again, that's a part of practice. So about six months after Jean died, I went to Bali with Abby Asher, whose husband at the time also had a glioblastoma and who was dying of brain cancer. And one of the things that I saw there, it made me realize that what I wanted to do was have practice be my life and my life be my practice. That's when I decided I wanted to be a priest. And the reason was what I saw in the Balinese people was a, a reverence and a gratitude and a practice where everything in their life was practiced. They didn't just practice when they went to the temple. They offered flowers and incense in, in their home altars. Every person they dealt with, they treated with reverence and appreciation and love and openness. It was such a difference from how I was raised. I was raised Catholic. And what I found there was on Sunday, when you went to church, people acted one way. And the other six days of the week, I didn't find that, that the people that I interacted with were really practicing what they preached. And what I saw in Bali was just a, 
really everything they did was their practice. And that's what I, I wanted my life to be. I wanted to take the precepts that we were, were learning about and have them really be what I tried to do with all of my um, day-to-day interactions with whatever sentient beings I came into contact with. And so I think what the Balinese showed me was that the Four Noble Truths aren't just propositions for us to believe, they're actually guides, they're roadmaps for our actions to relieve not only our own suffering, but other people's suffering as well. We can find a way to help other people. So if we can face our own suffering and understand our suffering, we can also realize that it's transient, that this too shall pass, no matter how bad it feels at the time, that it will go away. It's just transient. And I think that is really, really um, remarkable, right? No matter how bad you feel at the moment, if you know it's not going to last forever, it really does, at least for me, help me deal with it and cope with it in a better way. So if I can see it clearly, I can pause, I can understand it, I can feel that pain, and then I can let it go. So the letting go begins with understanding. It's letting go of craving is not rejecting it. You can't just push it away and say, I don't want it. I'm not going to pay attention with it. You know, that, that's when you fall down a different hole of, you know, alcohol or, or something else to numb your pain. That's not the answer, or at least it isn't for me. It's actually allowing the pain to be what it is, knowing that it's a state of mind and feeling that it is going to eventually go away. And for me, that's really powerful. So what is practice for me? It's really an authentic way of being in the world, letting others see and being your true self, vulnerable, loving, and kind, like you would with your best friend, right? So today I talked to a friend from fourth grade. We've been friends for more than 50 years, and I haven't seen her in several years. And we were able to pick up like we saw each other yesterday, right? There was no barriers between us. There's no pretenses. It's just us being open and authentic and loving and kind to the person in front of us. And, and that's how I want to be able to be with every person that I interact with. And I think when we can do that, it not only enriches the person's life that we're interacting with, but it really enriches our own life. And, and to me, that's really what practice is. It's, it's, trying to get away from the distractions that we have in our life, which we have a lot of distractions in our life, and trying to be fully present with the person or the situation you're with. So for me, sitting zazen probably is the greatest way for me to remind myself of how distracted I can be. As soon as I start to sit zazen, you know, I can relive something that happened. I can remember an edited version of the past. I can think about the future. I can indulge in trying to be somewhere else in my mind, right? All these other things come up and it really reminds you of how much we distract ourselves and how much we're not really in the present often. Um, so, so Zazen sometimes is really helpful for me to get back into the present moment because it shows me how distracted I am so much of the time. And yoga for me is also like zazen. When I do yoga, it really helps me settle my mind and body to the present moment of here and now. Um, 
I don't know, some of you may know Kofi Busa. And the first time I took his class, he came up to me and he said, I don't know when you're going to learn to quiet your mind. And I thought, that's sort of an interesting thing to say. Um, but I think at the time, Jean and I had been new and dating, and I was thinking about her. I was just happy and thinking about her as I was doing my yoga pose. And he could tell immediately that I was not fully present in the moment. I was, I was thinking about something else. And I, and I think many times we do that, right? We're doing one thing and thinking about something else. And that not only robs whatever the situation we're in of our full presence, but it robs ourself of that full experience. So, um, so, so why not, you know, so why settle? Why don't we just live in fantasy land and, and in our mind? And, and I think for me, the fantasy land is, is the, where I think the stories are true, but they're not reality. And what I have found is it increases my suffering if I stay in that place. Because I only have one perspective in that place, and it's not the full perspective. So it's not helpful for me, and, and it, and it um, causes me more pain if I'm not trying to seek to understand. Um, and, and one example for me that I think is, uh, was helpful when I reframed it was when I was at the university, I had an administrative role, and I'd sometimes have staff that were upset about something because they heard it from another person. And most of the time, due to confidentiality reasons, I couldn't share the whole story, right? I couldn't share what the other, the other piece was in that story. So they would be upset about something, which if you only had that piece of the story may seem very legitimate, but they only had one piece of the story. And I think in our life, that's what happens, right? We only have our side of the story. We don't really true have, truly have the full reality of the experience of the whole story. And, and when, we, when that happens, we sometimes then make assumptions or make, have actions that aren't coming from the best place. And so that sometimes helps me um, of why I want to practice because it helps me pause. It helps me do something before I act so that if I have pain or I feel anger, instead of responding, I pause. And I try to understand what, what is that? What is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm thinking? Um, John Dunn is a speaker that I heard at Upaya. He's a professor, I think, at University of Madison, an expert in Buddhist studies. And he was doing a talk on the power of Lojong. And, and he said something that's really stuck with me and that I, I keep bringing up in my own head when, I, when something bothers me. And what he said was, if you can do something about it, then why be upset? Let it go. If you can't do something about it, then why be upset? Let it go. And I, and I think for me, in some sense, that's Buddhism in a nutshell of uh, if you can do something about it, then why be upset? You know, let it go. You know, do whatever you need to do. And if you can't, then why be upset? Let it go because you can't do anything about it. You know, we, we get ourselves wound up in these situations where we are causing our own suffering. And if we can let it go, we're going to be in a much better place. Um, there are a few Buddhist concepts that I've really found helpful in my life. And one of them was this giving, receiving, gift, all a circle, all the same. And generosity and giving come really naturally to me. That's easy. But asking for help is not. And um, when, Jean was, when Jean Marie was dying, I needed a lot of help. And, and I had a really hard time asking for help. Um, 
And one of the things that Jean Bush shared with me and helped me to understand was when, when you give somebody something, they get that gift and they get the benefit of that gift. But you also get a benefit of helping somebody else and the feeling that goes with that. And if I'm not asking for help when I need it, I'm not giving that benefit and that gift to somebody else who may really want to help me, but I've never given them that opportunity. So I'm taking that away from them. And that really helped me to be open to asking for help when I need it, because I don't want to be that selfish person that, that isn't allowing somebody else to show me love and compassion and kindness. And, um, and I found that to be a really helpful practice. One of the other ones that I found to be really helpful is right speech. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? And I use this before I respond most of the time, you know, not always, but most of the time. Um, and when Karen and I were first dating, um, she would notice that I paused before I answered sometimes. And, you know, one of the interesting things about being married to psychiatrist is they clearly pick up on things really quickly of why are you pausing? What, what is this about? What, what are you, why are you, what are you not sharing with me? And she quickly learned that when I paused, it meant she, she hit a button and I was waiting to respond because either I was hurt about something or I was upset about something and I was trying to respond more thoughtfully. But it's been, it's been a wonderful tool, right? Because I love Karen. I, I want to do everything I can to not cause her pain. And if she did something that caused me pain, even inadvertently, I don't want to respond in an unkind way back. I want to understand more about what, what she said or did so that I can understand it because I've probably misinterpreted and I'm feeling hurt by something that is completely in my own head and not, not her intention at all. And so it's, it's been something that's really useful most of the time. Um, and usually I can tell if I need to pause because I feel it in my gut, you know, in my hara, as Kathy would call it. And if I feel something when somebody says it in my gut, I know I better not respond because if I do, it's not going to be kind. It's going to be out of that more reptilian place in your brain that's just sort of protective. And that's not helpful. Um, another thing that's helped me in Buddhism is this idea that we're all interconnected, right? What I do affects other people and what you do affects me. And if we really, really acted on this, what a, what a, what a kinder place it could be in our world if we took other people's feelings and needs into consideration. And this, this has really helped me to try being more patient and more kind to people, even if I don't agree with them. Um, another one is change. Everything changes, right? So if you're feeling pain right now, you can rest assured it will go away. It will change. It will pass. And that for me is, is really a gift, right? That's a, that's a wonderful idea to know that whatever I'm feeling right now is not going to last forever. Now, the bad news is, you know, if you're in, uh, you know, in a, or early in a relationship and you're in this, you know, ecstatic state, you have to also know that that probably is not going to last forever, right? It's, it's either going to grow into a deep love or, or maybe you're going to turn out to be friends, but whatever it is that you're having, it's, it, it, it is a constant change that happens. So um, the last couple of things I want to talk about are, are related to the uh, death, you know, Buddhism seems to have a focus in some sense on 
um, birth and death. And I've been a nurse for 40 years and a nurse practitioner for 30 years. And so I've seen a lot of birth and death. And um, yesterday we had the birth of uh, our second grandson. So that's really exciting. And um, we're, you know, thrilled we get to meet him tomorrow. Um, but I've seen a lot of death and suffering. And I also think that that's one of the things that's helped me to be more grateful and more appreciative and to let little things go is because I, it helps me to realize that um, life is transient. Don't waste time, right? Let the little things go. Show the people that you love them that you love them. Don't wait till tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So I think those kinds of things really are helpful and they have been for me. Um, compassion is something that really comes naturally to me. I, I, you know, if I see a dead animal on the side of the road, I, I feel pain. You know, it, 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 I just, um, compassion is something I have, but I haven't always had compassion for myself. And when I started showing myself the same compassion that I show for others, that's when my grief after Jean Marie died finally went away and lifted. And had that not happened, I wouldn't be in a wonderful marriage and relationship with Karen Marie Peterson now, because I would have still been stuck in this dark hole of grief. And we need to be able to be as compassionate with ourselves as we are with others, right? So that to me has really been a game changer is to show yourself the same compassion that you show for others. You are just as worthy of compassion as every other sentient being that exists. And so Joan for years kept telling me, Karn's twin sister, you should date my sister, you should date my sister. And when finally I was compassionate with myself and my grief lifted, she was right, I should date her sister. And, and because I was open to that, and I let my heart heal. You know, I have a, a wonderful, loving partner who I adore, and our love has only grown, grown stronger. So it's been, it's been a gift to be able to be compassionate to myself um, because it's opened my heart again to an opportunity that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is when I, I finished the chaplaincy program at Upaya in March of this year, and they do the three tenants, which I didn't quite understand in the beginning, but it's one of those things that really has stuck with me now. And the first one is not knowing, beginner's mind, letting go of fixed ideas. And it goes back to this idea that we don't always have the full picture. And in this society that we live, it's so valued to be sort of a know-it-all. But being a know-it-all doesn't, it, it isn't, isn't, um, doesn't work for me in Buddhism. I need to have uh, a not knowing mind, an open mind, a beginner's mind, to be open to all possibilities and conditions because I don't know what the other person is experiencing. If I think I know the answer, it's only from my perspective and it's probably not a good answer. So it really does help me to be in this not knowing mind where I'm not trying to be the right one. I'm not trying to get my way. I'm just trying to understand. The second one for um, the three tenants was bearing witness, totally immersing oneself to the wholeness of life, just being present, just being present. And I think that, you know, when I am with 
Kathy or Jean, Patrick, Patrice, Dana, Nanette. There's so many people that as soon as you're with them, you, they, you have their full attention. They are such a good example of bearing witness. They're totally with you in the moment, right? They're fully there. They're not distracted by something else. Their whole presence is with you. And you know when you have that with someone, you feel it. And it's such a nice feeling to be able to have that connection. And then the last one is compassionate action, which is the action that you take should be based on thinking what will really serve. Not what's good for me, not what you think is the right thing to do, but you know, acting with a, a loving, open heart. And so I really try now to think about you know, not knowing, no fixed ideas, being open to whatever it is, because I don't know the answer. Bearing witness by being fully present with whatever it is that's there. And then compassionate action. What will really serve? Not what's good for me, but what's good for, what's good for the situation that we're in. And practice for me has been a real gift. It's, it's transformed my life for the better. And um, I'm thankful for all of you for supporting me in this journey. So thank you. Beings are numbers. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. 